The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Sports today. All right, everybody, welcome to the free agency edition of Fantasy Sports Today. I'm joined today by my buddy Davis Maddock, and we're going to go through basically everything that's happened the last few days, last week or so. In my opinion, Davis, and by the way, you can find Davis on Twitter at Davis Maddock, M A T T E K. In my opinion, this seems to be the most active free agency period I can ever remember in the NFL. It's been my favorite so far, and I'm a Steelers fan, so it's been my favorite to sort of watch unfold. I don't know if you have one that you feel is comparable to it, but this definitely feels like the most active I've ever seen. I mean, I certainly don't remember two of the five, ten best wide receivers swapping teams, <laughs> you know. In, in like I, I I mean I can't remember like basically when Randy Moss used to move teams that would uh that would kind of shut the off season down but like even sort of in like the last five years who's the who's the best player who's moved teams in the off season can, like can you even think of one? I mean nobody nobody really at, at this level it just hasn't to this point it hasn't seemed like it would ever be worth it to move on from a player like that. It's an extremely unique scenario, and, and, and people are making – and I, I think it's fair to make the comparison that Antonio Brown has forced his way out of Pittsburgh much in the same way that some NBA players have been able to do that recently. I don't necessarily see it as a trend, but he certainly was able to do it in a way that, to this point, hasn't really worked for NFL players. Well, the reason that it won't be a trend is that very few NFL players have the brand recognition and the value to their teams that would even necessitate any of this. A lot of NFL players, if they tried this, they, they would just be cut because they're not, they're not good enough to be right. worth keeping. So, like, honestly, you, you do really have to be in the Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown tier for that to even work. Like, think if, think if like, uh, Gus Edwards was like, you know what? I just don't want to play for the Ravens. I don't want to be here. They would void his contract. He would get paid no money, and he would be cut, and another team would have to either pay him or not, you right. know, and he'd have to deal with the consequences. Right. You know, it just doesn't really work that way with the way the NFL's uh, contracts are structured. Right, right. And, you know, obviously, look, we might as well just dive into that trade first because – the Steelers are taking a huge L. There's no other way to paint that picture. 
I never thought, though, I, I think what was a little surprising to me was the reaction that they did get so little, only because I never thought they were going to be able to get the first round pick that they had claimed that they wanted. Now, it seems like the Bills had thrown that out there, but that never really got to the 11th hour anyway. I think it was a little bit of aggressive reporting. And the Bills walked away when they thought he might have cold feet or they thought maybe it was a little bit too much and they didn't know if he was going to fit in with their culture. So the getting the third and the fifth pick ends up equating to around top 60 pick or something like that. That's sort of what I thought they were going to get. I still think it's an L, but that's about what I thought they would get. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an L for the Steelers. Though I think maybe there'll be a little bit of addition by subtraction because I think at this stage in their careers, Juju Smith-Schuster, probably a more efficient player. And, you know, if you look at their, if you look at their projected starting offense for next season, I think you still probably feel pretty good about them being one of the five best offenses. They have Dante Moncrief now uh, that they can rotate with James Washington across from Juju Smith-Schuster. They have Switzer in the slot, and then they have the uh, Jalen Samuels, James Conner duo that they can use, and they have uh, Vance McDonald. Like, those are all pretty good NFL players. Like, I think the Steelers, I think people are going to be surprised that they are still quite good. Right, and I think there's some concern. Well, I'd say two things. One, they're not going to throw the ball as much as they were throwing in the last eight games last year. It just became a desperation play for them. The defense wasn't playing particularly well. Now, I can't say that that's fixed as of yet, but the defense wasn't playing particularly well. They felt forced to put the ball in Ben's hands and have him throw it. I think realistically, while I'm not a big believer in that you have to have balance, I do think they need more balance than what Ben was doing in the last eight games or so of the season last year. So that's one. Two, there seems to be a lot of concern that Juju can't handle the number one role. I am not of that opinion. I have been really impressed with him in his first two seasons, to your point. He's, he's voted Steelers team MVP, which don't think that didn't have something to do with the unhappiness of Antonio Brown, A, and B, uh, he might be more efficient than Antonio Brown at this point in his career. So I think he can handle the number one job with, with, without a problem. Yeah, I think he can, I think he can definitely handle the number one job. I'm, I am considering – right now I'm, I am legitimately debating between Odell Beckham and Juju Smith-Schuster for my number one wide receiver in Dynasty. Yeah, that's interesting um, because there's a lot of guys – Obviously, three of the guys we just mentioned whose situations have changed dramatically. Julio and DeAndre Hopkins still are what they are, uh, but these three situations have changed dramatically. Now, uh, so, all right, so that gives me a good picture of where you have Juju. Now, on the Antonio Brown side of things, when, when the Bills thing fell apart, I did my standard show on Saturday morning, and I wasn't really panicked about it. I just said the Raiders have to get back into this this mix because, and we'll get into the Raiders in full force a little bit later, but regarding this trade, John Gruden has such love affairs with players that when you hear him say things openly, you can almost guarantee he's going to sign a guy. So when he talked about how much he loves Brown's work ethic and all that kind of stuff, I just knew that they were going to be one of the major suitors, if not the team that ultimately landed him. So the one thing I will say about Brown's fantasy value, at least for 2019, is Gruden does 
put himself in a position where he promises players a certain number of touches, and he does deliver on that, perhaps to the detriment of the team. But for fantasy owners, I think you could see Antonio Brown still in the yardage and catch range, at least the catch range that he's seen. The touchdowns will be down, though. The Raiders' offense isn't going to all of a sudden be fixed by Antonio Brown and the team. No, it won't be. But there are a, there are a couple things going for them. The first is that uh, obviously they traded for Antonio Brown, but they also signed uh, they also signed Tyrell Williams, yeah. who is like a good field stretching wide receiver, which yeah. I think definitely matters. Um, the other thing that they have going for them is that they have three first round picks in this upcoming draft, and I think what a lot of people want them to do with those picks is take defensive players right they they had only 13 sacks last year so people want them to take uh you know edge rushers especially at number four uh some people like I thought maybe TJ Hawkinson or Noah Font would make sense yeah but they could take anyone right they could take a tackle they could take another wide receiver they have a lot of ways that they can improve their offense with those picks and I kind of think the best way for Gruden to proceed would be to just so overload that offense with weapons that uh that you know Derek Carr has no excuse but to uh but to succeed yeah and I think on some level you're seeing that right with Brown and and Williams I'm a little concerned here's the thing Tyrell Williams for all of us especially in the fantasy community we've been waiting 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 we've seen glimpses obviously of how great he could be I just don't know if this is the right team. I'm not a huge car believer. I guess Antonio Brown on the other side gives me more faith. I just wonder if he's one of the guys that we as a community are going to be all in on and it falls flatter than we want it to. I just have concerns about Gruden and Carr more than anything else. I don't think Tyrell will be very good for fantasy. I think yeah. he'll probably end up being overdrafted in fantasy. I'm with you. But I think but I think his skill set is super complementary to what Antonio Brown at 31 years old is going to be, which is going to be, you know, a flat uh, underneath wide receiver. He's not going to be running deep, you know, nine route, post route, but those sorts of things. That's just not really going to be his game anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, the Raiders in general, to your point about taking a tackle, I mean, they spent big money on Trent Brown, which some people feel is maybe a little bit too much for him. They have Colton Miller a first-round pick from last year. They did let Osemele go to the Jets. So I could absolutely see them doing what you're suggesting with those first-round picks, just loading up uh, on offense and, and, making, and putting Carr in a position to succeed maybe in the same way that – look, I'm not a huge Trubisky believer – but they've surrounded him but, with enough but, yeah, weapons. Like a and they're super play similar thing where right. it's just like you, you understand that this quarterback has some but, limited skills. So you might as well just give him the absolute best possible chance he can to succeed. Totally, totally uh, understand that. I, they may take a defensive tackle early too, because the draft is, but the, the irony is that the, the draft is loaded with defensive tackle. So they don't have to, with that first pick, take one. Now Quinn and Williams are, one of those other guys could be up there, but they don't have to do it considering all of the assets they have. That, that is the flexibility. I have to give them credit for at least stockpiling those ones. We'll see if spending all this money uh, works out for them. All right, so let's move over to the next major trade, which was, I, I guess this one is really the shocker of the entire 
season simply because we knew Antonio Brown was coming. And Odell gets traded for a first, a third, and Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers has to be so irritated because he, he struggled with two different head coaches and he wasn't used properly, and now he finds himself on a, any, on a Giants team that's completely blown up. But uh, that's not the major story of this trade. So Odell goes to the Browns now, reunited with college teammate Jarvis Landry. We have Baker Mayfield, obviously, in the mix as now an increasingly more valuable quarterback in the fantasy community, uh, even especially as you evaluate dynasties, Baker's becoming more valuable by the minute. So um, I just thought that the Giants might hold him because they're leading themselves down the path to picking a quarterback. But now they blew up the offense in a way that I didn't necessarily think was the right move. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Giants, Dave Gettleman's an idiot. Right? Like, he's, he's just terrible. an idiot. And terrible decision. The Browns have all of this extra ammo. And, I mean, realistically, what, what, what player are they going to take at 17 who's going to start for them day one, right? Yeah. The, I mean, you know what? I will say this class is super deep in edge rushers. They probably could have gotten a pretty good edge rusher at that 17th pick. And you know what? A good edge rusher, good, you know, good for them. That really does help your team. But it doesn't help your team as much as having Odell Beckham does. Yeah. It, I think it's the old adage. It, it comes true again. It doesn't really matter what assets you get back. If you get the best player, you're going to win the trade. Uh, you, could, you can poke around all you want at Odell being a distraction and having an injury history now. There's no way that you're going to, in a trade, get assets back that are worth what he was worth to the team. Here, here's the, the – when it boils down to it for me, you can't, you can't think that the Giants have a legitimate plan in place when they just signed him to an extension. It means that they didn't know what they were doing on either end of it. There's no strategy in place. They're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants – this all leads back to last offseason, like one year ago. The Giants were not – had no integrity in evaluating their own roster, Davis. They just thought, well, we, if we, Eli comes back out here and we protect him with these offensive linemen that we added through the draft and free agency, uh, we can run the ball effectively and we'll be fine. And really, they were a five-win team. And they realized it about six weeks into the season. So – they completely misevaluated the roster last year, which led to all of this. I just thought, keep Odell there, draft a young quarterback. To the earlier conversation we're having, we're surrounding this young quarterback with assets like Barkley, Shepard, Ingram, and Beckham, and we've added three offensive linemen in the last year, and now they added Zeitler with the Olivier Vernon trade. So they have Zeitler, Nate Solder, Will Hernandez. I'm not saying that's the best offensive line, but they are actually fixing the biggest problem on the team. And now they traded their biggest playmaker. It doesn't make sense. No, I mean, they, Dave Gettleman and that organization, they clearly had no plan. Like, at the point in which they decided that they were cool rolling with Eli in the last year, I think it was clear that they had no plan because everyone who had a clue knew that Eli was cooked and that they were not going to be able to generate a winning team with Eli as the quarterback. So not only see people kind of harp on them for passing on Darnold or Rosen at number two, 
But I think you could argue that even a bigger crime was that they moved on from Geno Smith super early, mm-hmm. right? Geno probably still has some unexplored ceiling for some NFL team to tap into. And they didn't try and sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. They didn't try and sign Case Keenum. They didn't explore Alex Smith. So if you thought that your team had a roster that could compete, why are you going with Eli when these other guys who were on winning teams in 2017 were out there? Why don't you try and sign them? That's exactly right. You could have done the exact same trade. Now, I know the Giants and Jets aren't often going to trade, but Teddy Bridgewater was a perfect landing spot. Uh, Giants were a perfect landing spot for Teddy Bridgewater. They needed a veteran backup there. Exactly right. They they just went with a couple of guys that didn't ever really take snaps before. Lawletta and Tanny were not guys that could come in and win a couple of games if I, Eli were to go out for the first time in his career. So I completely agree. They botched it six ways from Sunday. So there's really nothing else I can say. They got some assets back at least, but I just didn't think it was the right time. Frankly, if you wanted to trade Odell before the extension, then Davis, I could say, all right, well, they're blowing it all up now. I, that's the plan. But that clearly isn't the case. They've, ha- they've reversed on their own plan within six months. So um, I, I think the Giants are in a tough spot. I, I thought that they were finally blowing up the defense in order to fix the offense, and then they could hammer defense for the next two off seasons. But now I have no idea what they're going to do. So other side of this, Odell steps into the Browns. You got Jarvis Landry there, Baker there. The Browns are easily, for me, a favorite to win the division now. And they've they've acquired so many assets recently that they've actually put themselves Sashi Brown isn't going to get credit for it other than from our community, most likely Davis, but Sashi Brown really helped set up John Dorsey who has also made good moves. It doesn't have to be one or the other. These two GM regimes have combined to acquire so many assets that it's shocking. And offensively Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield, Odell, and Jarvis Landry, and they have a couple of other wide receivers that they're working with too. So lay it out for me. You think Odell could be the number one dynasty wide receiver? Yeah, I, and I think that, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield plays into that. I think that Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin play into that. I think Eli Manning kind of reducing the sample of what Odell Beckham was the last few years plays into that. They They are just going to be – so overwhelmingly talented on offense and they are going to call plays the right way this this offense was very good under kitchens last year and they're adding todd munkin who led you know ryan fitzpatrick james winston to the third most efficient passing offense last season yeah um what were your thoughts when cream hunt got added there uh, some Nick Chubb owners rolled their eyes at it. Do you just think there's enough touches to go around that they'll be fine? Well, I think that uh, I think that he's going to be suspended for like at least ten games. So I'm not I'm not like super worried about his impact on Chubb. Basically, sure. I just think I just think that it was probably the way it actually shakes out is that if he is activated this next year, 
he if if he I think if he records something like 20 carries or whatever, he becomes eligible for the the Browns to get a third round compensation pick, just the way that Hunt's rookie contract works. So I think it's more of like a a math thing than them really wanting him to play. Yeah, just like asset building. So they're doing that in a smart way. So what if it's six games that worry more? maybe I don't know but I mean you know it's not really realistic for any running back these days you know what what running back really gets 80 percent of their team's carries it's like it's like Ezekiel Elliott and and that's it yeah um are you worried about um going back to the Giants are you worried about Barkley's workload or do you think that this will be similar to what happened with Gurley when it was obvious that Fisher was on the way out where he actually didn't see the 400 touches that some people thought. Uh, no, because the Giants are one of those organ- – like Gettleman and, and the organization, they're, they're going to be super desperate to prove that taking Saquon was the right thing. They're gonna, and they, you, we saw this last year. The Giants had nothing to play for. They were still running him out there, giving him 20 touches in a meaningless Week 17 game because they want him to set records. So yeah. they're going to be giving him the ball, you know, like crazy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So Todd Gurley in his second season, which was Jeff Fisher's last season was, uh, he had 278 touches and 43 receptions. So it still was a relatively heavy workload. It just was horribly inefficient because Fisher didn't know uh, what he was doing. So, okay. So that's a good setup. Any big bump for Shepard or Ingram? I think probably a pretty big bump for Ingram because the tight end position just sucks. Like there are, there are maybe five tight ends you feel good about and fantasy and Ingram has to be one of them now, because even if the offense isn't very good, his his target share just went way up. He just got a big target share. And uh, you know, Corey Coleman been mostly a flop at the NFL level, though I think he might even kind of be forced into full-time playing time this year. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point on Ingram. I say this every year when drafts roll around. People are really concerned with the tight end position and what am I going to do. I I just say it every year. It's a mess. It doesn't really matter after the first few guys. But I like that call. I think Ingram may be one of the guys that you need to have. You need to have Ertz and you need to have Kelsey and you need to have Ingram. Beyond that, good luck. Yeah, and I I think Ingram does join the you know the good luck tier basically. Like yeah. I I think I think he is I think he is now there. Not yeah. even because I think he's like a great player or anything, but just because I think they will have no option but to target him so heavily. Yeah, I left out George Kittle, so obviously he's part of that uh, sort of lockdown mix now. So all right, so last trade, uh, a little one, a little bit closer to your heart. So. The Chiefs move on from D Ford, which was expected because there's a scheme change coming into play. They were one of the few who actually was able to pull off the franchise tag and trade of the player, and they did it pretty quickly. Um, I would also say one point I wanted to make at the top is the salary cap has finally gotten to a point where you can kind of shake your head at the money that some guys are getting, right? Like the, the salary cap has grown so much, especially over the last two years, that some of the contracts that guys are getting are, I really shake my head at it. Like a Cole Beasley or John Brown contract were bigger than I anticipated. And one guy that got a bigger contract than I, even I anticipated is D Ford. 
uh, a five-year, $87.5 million contract with the Niners. He's traded to the Chiefs in exchange for a 2020 second-round pick. So maybe not the haul you expected from D4, but they had to move on because there was no scheme fit there at all for him. Yeah, and I don't think the Chiefs should be that super worried about the defense. They didn't, they didn't lose the Patriots game because of the defense, right? I, I just don't think that's accurate. I think they lost the Patriots game because they scored zero points in the first half. Mm -hmm. And I think that people – like I, and I was one of those people that freaked out about the defense after that, uh, after that playoff game. But the answer is – the answers for this team will always be about the offense and will be about Patrick Mahomes. So I'm not, I'm not sweating D Ford leaving that much. I don't think it will have a huge impact on the team overall. Yeah. I would just say in general – their offense is so good, they can spend a lot of time building up defensive assets now. They obviously signed uh, Toronto Matthew. Um, they added Carlos Hyde as a depth running back, and they have Damian Wilson coming back. But they can spend time in these next two drafts building out the defense. I do think that the biggest concern for me to the defense is really what did come to fruition in the Pats game. I I'm with you in that evaluating that game and saying, well, the defense just totally blew it is a little short-sighted. They scored 31 points in the second half against the Patriots and they lost the game. It's a really unique scenario. What I did think was problematic is that they gave up 94 offensive plays. I, I thought they couldn't stop the run as they couldn't all year. So they'll address it. I just I don't think anybody's crying over D Ford leaving as, as good a player as he was this past season. It wasn't really somebody that they can commit $90 million to. No, no, it, it wasn't. And, and, you know, I would rather them, I would actually rather them put that money towards, you know, cornerbacks, yeah. uh, safeties. Like I know, I know safeties have been really devalued in, mm -hmm. uh, in the modern game or whatever, but I actually love the signing of, uh, of Tyron uh, Matteo to the team. Yeah. So in general, that, that's another point to touch on the safety market, the free agency market for safeties historically and very recently has not been favorable. And then this year it exploded. Matthew got paid. Landon Collins got paid an exorbitant amount. Earl Thomas got paid and he's an aging safety as talented as he is. He's an aging safety with a major injury history now, and he got paid. So that has been one of the more surprising elements from a macro standpoint here. It doesn't matter who went to which team. It's just that all these guys got paid. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, good for them. I always I, I never am going to begrudge an NFL player getting paid. But it is interesting that safeties are making so much money after like, it's kind of like running backs making a lot of money. Like right. just it seems sort of it, it is sort of weird that some of the biggest defensive contracts this year are uh, are safeties. Yeah. And nobody suggests that they aren't really valuable. It's just that as safeties get older, they're obviously asked to do a ton during the course of their NFL career. Like, they can fall off a cliff pretty quickly. Even if they're one of the best players in the league, they get banged up. They're asked to do a lot. They're on the field a ton. So all those snaps, injuries, hitting, all that kind of stuff just adds up over time. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, let's talk about teams that were particularly active. Ironically, two of them are in the Patriots division. What I find funny about this is that the Patriots approach free agency the same way they almost always do. They'll maybe they'll sign a Stephon Gilmore every once in a while, but generally they're letting their guys walk, whether it's Trey Flowers or 
other players. They just let them walk and they'll get some compensation and then they'll move on and, and try to reload or find players that fit their scheme in a different way. They lost Trent Brown and Trey Flowers this year so far, and I don't even think they're going to blink. First, they're getting Isaiah Wynn back because their first-round pick from last year towards ACL. He'll just step right in at tackle. And then as far as a pass rusher, I just feel like they'll probably select somebody in the draft that will be effective. Um, but what I, the reason I set it up with the Patriots is because the Bills and the Jets were so active this free agency period. The Bills signing, uh, I'm going to run through it right now, Cole Beasley. Four years, twenty-nine million. John Brown, three years, twenty-seven million. Uh, they picked up Tyler Croft, which I saw you had some comments on uh, on Twitter about. Uh, they signed Mitch Morse from the Chiefs. They signed Ty Neschke from uh, I can't remember where he was, but they signed Washington. two. That's right, two offensive linemen, two wide receivers, and a tight end. They they actually now have the oldest running back the backfield I can ever remember and adding Frank Gore uh, to McCoy and um, Chris Ivory. So for, at least for now, but they signed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's the most active team so far. Do you feel like it's going to help Josh Allen? Well, it better. It really better because they are paying a lot of money out to these guys. I think the John Brown signing was very good. I think that fits very well with what Josh Allen seems to do well. Cole Beasley signing seems more optimistic or hopeful by the Browns front office. They they want him to become a more accurate and more controlled passer near the line of scrimmage, you know, pick up some third and seven, some stuff like that. And that's not something that Josh Allen was good at last year. It's not something he was good at in college. So Beasley is like a more aspirational signing. I don't really have an opinion. On, like the, the money, the guaranteed money seems bad, but I don't think it's like outright a dumb thing that they did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it whatever like they're not going to win the division they are light years away from being a good team if Josh like if Josh Allen is bad this is all just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic if he turns out to be very good That's true. uh you know then these are helpful moves it really all kind of comes down to him yeah agreed uh Tyler Croft I know you had some optimism there I understand it because he was a highly regarded prospect it's just that in his four years he was only really productive the one. You could blame it on Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis. That's fine with me if you want to point fingers that way. Uh, but that could be – Tyler Croft basically for dynasty leagues it could be a little bit of a diamond in the rough. I can tell you that I drafted Tyler Croft in my dynasty league uh, as a rookie, and I just ultimately had to release him because I was running out of spots and he didn't do anything for two full seasons. So – uh, I may regret it a little bit now, but he could be a little bit of a diamond in the rough, a guy that hasn't been talked about because he was hurt last year. Yeah, so he got replaced by C.J. Uzama last year and, and played behind Tyler Eifert for the rest of his time there. But uh, in 2017, he was kind of the only game in town, and he was pretty good. You know, he scored seven touchdowns, was, uh, you know, just a more regular part of the offense. And uh, that's kind of the player that I see him as. I think he could score, you know, eight touchdowns, like a really good year, catch 60 passes, something like that. Like he's, you know, he could have a, a pretty good like upside sort of year, though uh, it seems probably unlikely at best in this specific offense, but I do think he can play. 
Yeah. So to give you everybody a sense now, it's going to look like LaShawn McCoy for now, Josh Allen. Then you've got Croft, Zay Jones, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Robert Foster, who was a kind of a home run hitter last year. That's what you're looking at. I, I can't say I'm inspired by it, but at least they're, at least they're making moves. I, I just, I, I get, I get itchy when I see teams sort of making moves to make moves. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get the John Which Brown definitely, thing. Yeah, it definitely feels like that's what they're doing. Like they're yeah. just they're they're trying really hard to make some interesting things happen. Yeah, I, I, and to your point, the John Brown thing makes sense from a from a scheme standpoint. And find Beasley's a, a possession receiver, but I, I don't know that these are the pieces that are going to take them to another level. You're going to need to add some more pieces through the draft to really inspire me maybe they get one of the explosive wide receivers in round one like a I'm not gonna fall in love with DK Metcalf even though he had the best combine maybe ever so it's just one of those guys could really help them a lot hopefully somebody with size because if you're rolling with John Brown and Cole Beasley Zay Jones is fine but I think they need somebody a little bit more big-bodied at least so another team that was making a lot of moves was the Jets and they traded for Colegio Simile even though they lost one of their own offensive linemen, I think they're going to have to continue to hit that position group. Uh, but they signed Le'Veon Bell, four-year contract, $52.5 million. I, I think that's about what I expected Le'Veon Bell to be in the range of all along. I don't mind that he sat out. I think the Steelers gave him sort of a, a poor offer uh, with the contract. I do think, though, that his agent and, and Bell were fooling themselves into thinking they were really going to break the bank this offseason. I didn't think that market was there. He gets what he gets, and he lands in uh, in New York. So, your thoughts about Levy on Bell to start with the Jets? Uh, I mean, I think just uh, a, I think a deal that makes sense for Lev. He sacrificed a year and probably sacrificed you know twenty to twenty five million dollars to do it, but he got more guaranteed money. So good for him on getting the guaranteed money. And, uh, you know, I think it's like a decent fit in terms of he, he signed with, you know, kind of a more aspirational um, NFL team. And if Sam Darnold improves, if Sam Darnold is much better in 2019, then Le'Veon Bell is going to be an RB1. He'll go first round of fantasy drafts. If Darnold is bad, if he does not play well, if, uh, the team is not able to score a ton of points, things are going to be rough for Le'Veon. Uh, agreed. And how about the receiving core? Now they've added Jamison Crowder, who I think he disappointed everybody, including myself, last year. But he's consistently banged up. That being said, I kind of like – if Jamison Crowder is healthy, he's the type of guy that, uh, with Sam Darnold, could rack up a lot of catches. He could approach that 80 catch total that so many of us wanted him to have with Alex Smith last year. But – your thoughts on Jamison Crowder or if this is just uh, hoping against hope? Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty into the Jamison Crowder signing because Darnold, Darnold needs somebody like that. He needed like a good solid possession wide receiver. And now Quincy Nunma can play on the perimeter. Uh, Jermaine Curse doesn't have to get in there. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in on that signing. I think it's solid. Yeah, so Crowder, Anunwa, Robbie Anderson, last year the Jets sort of suffered from not having a, a number one wide receiver. I think they probably still don't, but we saw Herndon play pretty well. 
uh, at times last year, Chris Herndon, the tight end. And now you have this receiving core, which probably still not a true number one, but the draft is upcoming. You don't know what they'll do there. I still think they need to hit offensive line hard this draft if they can get anybody else in free agency I just think that's a position group that Darnold is going to need to be stronger and Bell too frankly um so we'll see how that pans out for the Jets I just felt like it was interesting to see the two most active teams are in the Patriots division when the Patriots are just fine to let everybody walk yeah um but this is like a good time for them to spend money, right? This would be yeah. a good time for them to commit to the offensive line. This would be a good time for them to pay Le'Veon Bell. If you are ever going to pay a running back, it would definitely be, um, you know, when the, the Tom Brady era seems to maybe be coming to an end. Yeah. Uh, they signed CJ Mosley too. I think it's an overpay slightly, but it goes back to my earlier point about, the salary cap has gotten to the point where there are some eye popping numbers that you just have to get used to because these numbers are climbing. The salary cap over the last five years has really skyrocketed. So uh, I think CJ Mosley, while he's getting paid more than uh, any other linebacker, I, I think it's okay because the Jets really needed somebody in that role. Is he the top linebacker, middle linebacker in the league? No, but he's a playmaker and I think he's somebody that could work out. On the flip side, they thought they had Anthony Barr. He gets cold feet, goes back with the Vikings. I don't know if you have any thoughts on those two in particular, whether you think the Jets dodged a bullet with Anthony Barr or if they really needed somebody like him. No, I, I like Barr. I like Barr a lot. So I, I would have rather them sign Barr than Mosley. I'm with you, actually. Uh, I feel like Barr is the better playmaker uh, and somebody that the Jets needed. They have Leonard Williams there as a tremendously solid uh, defensive lineman, but he isn't a big playmaker. He's not going to make a ton of sacks. He's just a really sound player and even a pro bowl level player, but just not somebody that's going to make a lot of flashy plays. So, um, so Barr goes back to the Vikings. That was really the one big shocker of the player that uh, turned around and, and reneged on what was supposedly a verbal agreement. The only other player actually that's in that mix right now, somebody I want to throw out to you is Teddy Bridgewater because it seems like he took a meeting with the Miami Dolphins after seemingly going back to maybe be the heir apparent in New Orleans. It looks like the Dolphins are making a push for him to come out of a backup role and maybe be their starter. What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, mean, I, think I think that seems, that seems overall, overall sort of accurate. What are your, what are your specific reactions? I mean, I just don't know like you could you could bring a couple of things into play with Teddy Bridgewater being from Miami and him wanting to go to his hometown and play there but it just seems like time, a horrible situation to make your first starting season I agree. right defense right. first time coach defensive coach by the way this is exactly what happened in Arizona Arizona picked a first time coach that was defensively minded Josh Rosen was put in there with nothing around him outside of Larry Fitzgerald and he failed. And I think Teddy Bridgewater would be in a similar position. Miami has been noticeably inactive in free agency. They let their tackle walk. They've signed, I think two players to this point. And now Bridgewater is going to go in and try to resurrect that franchise. There's too much work to do for him to be successful, honestly, within the next two or three seasons. I think Miami is actually, 
getting to the point where they're going, they are the worst team in the AFC East, I think, going into this season because they've done nothing really to build around them. They have a couple of defensive backs that are notable, but beyond that, I just think it's a wasteland. They re-signed Devontae Parker only because Devontae Parker didn't really have a big market. He's basically on a, on a prove-it two-year deal to see if he can resurrect his career, and there's no quarterback right now. Yeah, uh, it, what, I, what I wrote for them when I did a mock draft on the Roto Expert sites was they, they should really just be trying to stockpile as many assets that are not going to depreciate over the next two or three seasons. Like they could theoretically flip Devontae Parker around for more assets, but if I'm Teddy Bridgewater, I would, you know, I would stay in New Orleans and just take the backup money and wait for Drew Brees to retire, I think. Yeah. It would be a tough choice. The only problem is that if you're Teddy Bridgewater, if they don't give you a make a promise to you that it's that this is the last season, do you really want to keep waiting? I understand the the hunger. To, by the way, he would get paid a lot more money to be a starter. That's a and b. At least it's a chance to start. I just think to your point, there's no way they're going to be successful. I mean, maybe there already has been a promise, though, that if he, that if he stays, he'll be the guy. It would, he would have to have that because, to me, and as bad as it is, as bleak as it looks going in, to get paid 19 or $20 million versus the $7 million and be starting, that's a hard thing to turn down, even if you are concerned about. You know, now, maybe Breeze and Peyton will be in his ear and saying, don't do it. I, we we we've got a lot of experience. It's going to be a bad situation. Don't go there. So maybe that maybe they can convince him to stay. But I, I would think it would be hard to turn down, even if it looks bleak in Miami. So uh, just a couple of minutes left. Really, the only other thing I wanted to uh, touch on. Look, there's a lot that we could keep going into. Davis and I will maybe connect for uh, more of this in the future. But a couple of guys out there to stick with the Saints. Um, the Bridgewater thing is ongoing, but they signed Latavius Murray basically because they knew they seem, it seemed like they couldn't come to an agreement with Mark Ingram. But I think what's shocking to me is that the Mark Ingram deal isn't that big, nor is the Murray deal. I understand Ingram was more expensive than um, Latavius Murray, but it just seems odd to me that 14 million on the books for Murray over four years, 15 million on the books for Ingram over three years, that seems awfully close to not be able to work that out. I mean, Latavius might have more juice though, right? Like he he's he's had he's had less rushing attempts. So I yeah. kind of think I kind of think it overall makes sense. And um your thoughts about Ingram in Baltimore, what that backfield looks like now if you have any hope for Ingram. Yeah, I uh, I have Ingram projected right now on the when uh, our roto on the roto experts team level down production projections. I have him at like a forty five percent market share of their carries. Like I think he Love is going to be. I think he is going to be the lead guy with Gus Edwards spelling him. I like that. They've uh, the, over the last few years the Ravens have done a lot of sharing of the ball, but I think considering how much they're running it, they can take some of the rushing workload off of Lamar Jackson handed to Ingram. I, I've said many times in the past, like I was the president of the Mark Ingram fan club. I, I've just always been a believer in how good he was. Um, now I understand that 
guys like Alvin Kamara come along and you can't, you can't wave the flag forever. So this could be a really good situation for, I, I like it if for no other reason that it wasn't expensive. You saw what Le'Veon Bell got, and I know Ingram isn't Bell, but he got a third of what Le'Veon Bell got. It's almost no commitment. Yeah, z- zero commitment. They can they can move on from it. Like in well, the way I wrote in my reaction article was, they can use him up for a year, maybe two, if he proves that his body can stand up for it. But if if by that third year, if he's if he's toast, they can just move on, no problem. Agreed. Uh, any any last surprises, uh, big surprises of anybody that went that you were shocked by? Tevin Coleman is the most recent one. We got that news late last night. Tevin Coleman going to the Niners, reunited with Kyle Shanahan. If there's one guy that blew his free agency walk year more than anybody, it was Tevin Coleman. Can't say it's all his fault, but, man, that guy was looking to potentially be a starter on a team, and he leaves – Atlanta to go to San Francisco on a two-year, $10 million deal where I'll be part of a backfield. I think there's fantasy upside there, but Tevin Coleman's upside was taken away in what was a, a brutal walk year. You know, the biggest surprise for me is that Golden Tate is unsigned. That's a good point. That's like, that's like by far the craziest <coughs> thing for me. Like where, he, where do you he see him best? going? I'm, see, everyone seems to say that the Patriots want him, which would make a ton of sense. I just the Colts clearly aren't spending a lot of money and they don't feel like the money is burning a hole in their pocket, but they have a ton of it. And I wouldn't see why you wouldn't just take a shot on somebody like that. They signed Devin Funches on a one year deal with a max of 13 million, but why not give, why not give Andrew Luck some more weapons? When, when the money isn't a problem, I just don't see why that wouldn't be an option for them too. I, I, I'll always take a shot on a guy on a one-year deal with Funchess. I'm not really a believer in Funchess, but that money doesn't bother me. I just wouldn't see why Tate couldn't be a fit there just to to, to add more assets to what Luck yeah, they they just need more. They just need more talented offensive bodies. You know, they gave 230 targets last year to Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, Pascal, Mo Ali Cox, like just these total right. non NFL players. So right. yeah, I, I kind of think I kind of think Indianapolis makes sense. I think they are definitely planning on drafting a wide receiver in the first or second round, though. I agree. I agree. I agree. So. You know, that, that, that obviously is coming into play. This, this is really just one piece of the offseason moves for these teams. So if Golden Tate goes to the Patriots, uh, I'll be sick. Uh, just be sick to my stomach, I think. I really, hope, I really hope that they're forced to, you know, give Philip Dorsett 90 targets this year. Yeah, yeah, they, they re-signed him. So Philip Dorsett back in the fold in New England. Well, uh, I'll cut it off there. We've got a lot that we could probably cover in another hour on the pod, but I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, man. All right, everybody. That's uh, FST Free Agency Podcast. Uh, we'll be back with more soon.